Welcome to A Journey of Transformation Empowerment. You're listening to Antonio T. Smith Jr. Where ideas ignite, change, and possibilities are endless. Before we dive into today's episode, we have something special for our listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by a groundbreaking book that's reshaping the conversation around Black economic empowerment. It's Resegregation, Volume 1, The Power Matrix, a master plan for Black group economics with wealth creation, authored by visionary Antonio T. Smith, Jr., Antonio isn't just an author. He's a former top-secret combat special operations intelligence sergeant turned millionaire. His life work championed the economic autonomy and wealth creation within black communities. In this seminal work, dedicated to teachings of Dr. Claude Anderson, Antonio outlines a comprehensive blueprint covering critical sectors like finance, technology, manufacturing, and more. He blends military discipline with acute understanding of systematic disparity. This isn't just a book. It's a movement. A call to action to create lasting wealth and reshaping the economic narrative. Antonio's vision is clear. Drive a significant shift toward black ownership and control. Listeners, if you've ever wondered about innovative strategies for wealth creation or how technological transformation can uplift the black communities, then this book is for you. Join Antonio Smith Jr. on the transformative journey. Pick up your copy of The Resegregation Volume 1, The Power Matrix today and be a part of the reshaping future. Now, let's dive into the episode and explore the possibilities that await us. to another episode of the Secret to Success podcast. We strive to bring you the top leaders in their industries so you can learn their secrets to success, so you can grow and build your businesses, be prosperous, and live the dreams that you are so looking to live. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at theatsjr.com for more information about the ATSJR companies, and to find out more about how to live your dreams and reach that middle-class exit and live the life that you were supposed to live. Freedom is abundance, and abundance is freedom. Let's all go live it. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of the Secret to Success podcast. If you ever wanted to really learn millennials, 
this is the podcast episode for you. Dr. Philip Zimmerman studied millennials, studied so much, even taught millennials, and he breaks down where the enthusiasm and the joy of learning and the love of life for millennials, where, where at what point do we lose it? So I would definitely recommend you listening to this podcast. Learn more about us millennials and ask us questions because we, we do not mind answering your questions for you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Secret to Success podcast. Hello, Secret to Success podcast family. Welcome back again today. I have an amazing guest with us, a guest who understands millennials more than anything I could ever imagine. And I am grateful, ladies and gentlemen. I introduce you to Dr. Philip Zimmerman. Hello, Dr. Zimmerman. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic today, Diana. I appreciate you all having me on the show. Awesome. We're excited to have you. So, Dr. Zimmerman, if you can please let our audience know more about who you are and exactly what it is that you do. Uh, I am a uh, professional certified coach and uh, also a registered professional engineer, which was a, a career in my past. And what I do is I, I work with the executives and their teams to help them prepare their millennial talent to basically succeed in their businesses. And I also coach with or work with millennial talent themselves to help them align, develop, and advance along their career path while experiencing work-life balance. Uh, so that, that, that's what I do. I, I consult, with, consult and coach with uh, businesses and industries and their people. Right. So with that introduction, I now have some questions for you. (laughs) You. (laughs) So me being a millennial myself and my growing up watching my parents and my grandparents, you know, my my mom's parents were my her biological father was an entrepreneur, but her stepfather was a teacher in the school in the school district. Her mother was a nurse. And they both stayed in that industry until they both passed away. Now, my mom is in the medical industry, and she has been there my entire life. My dad has worked for the chemical uh, the chemical plant in our area my entire life, and he just recently retired. But you have those who are the millennials who are like, when you look at our resumes versus our parents' resumes, you see two, three, four different types of jobs. And with the extensive research and with everything that you do, why is that? Why why are millennials' resumes a little bit more fuller than our parents' resumes would have been? I think that if you were to look at it, a great question, first off. I think if you were to look at it on a, in a general sense, that's a very, very general, I guess, assessment of generations in the past and their longevity or loyalty to different businesses. It was in the past where someone would go work for an industry, as an example, they've worked their whole career, 35 years, and they would retire from that career. Mm-hmm. It has a lot to do with the what's called the industrial age and, mm-hmm. and security. Uh, but the I think when I, I graduated first from college in 1980, and then I got a master's degree in, in civil engineering in 1981, and when I graduated, I think the average, uh, my dad also worked in industry, 
and he said that, Philip, you can expect to have at least seven career changes or, at least, or positional changes with companies with, within your lifetime. And within that lifetime, you may actually totally change professions. And I, I was kind of like, that, that's crazy. No, no way. Because, you know, he'd worked for, although he had had several different changes himself, but I knew people whose parents had worked in the same place forever. But that was really my, my journey. My, my journey, I've had three or four different, totally different changes in my, in my career path, I mean, like major changes in my career path. Uh, there's always been a, a, a symmetry around engineering or technical fields, scientific fields. But as far as what I've done in that particular genre of, of uh, activity, I've had three different, very, very significantly different uh, career career careers within that path. So I think that the uh, when millennials first began, to, to, uh, and let me, let me try to address this also, and then let you get to your next question. When I was doing some research, well, which I'll get into in a minute, uh, looking at the millennial generation, one of the things that was noted in the literature about millennials, this was between 2006 and 2013, a lot of very disparaging articles were written in journal articles and magazines and, and textbooks and books about who the millennial generation was. And the typical reference was that they were disloyal. They were not loyal to their employers. Uh, they were only after the, the whoever would pay them the highest amount. Uh, they didn't want to work. They felt entitled. And there's about the other descriptions that they provided in that literature. And it was in doing literature review for something I was working on that in regards to the millennial generation that, that really shocked me because at the time I had been teaching in the classroom, that was one of my big changes. I became a <laughs> high school teacher for uh, 12 wow. years. And in my time in the classroom teaching students, I recognized that the students that I taught were, were not the, the individuals that were taking these jobs or there was something wrong with the jobs that they were taking that was making them do this. And what, the, what I discovered in that process was that we had a significant age change, the way we work. We went from what's called mm. industrial age working uh, to a connected age working. And I, I can get into that as far as what that means or what that, what, what that means in the working workforce. But your generation, was educated and prepared to work in the connected age. And I'll get into that, what that means in, in later <laughs> in the discussion. It, it is completely different way of working than people who have historically, historically worked in the industrial age, called the industrial age. And so when your generation started to enter industrial age businesses, they did not find the work that they were prepared for. In fact, they were rejected for what they knew. They were they were treated as if they didn't know anything. I mean, I have a college degree. You know, let me go to work. But the way that they were asked to work and what they were asked to do was not what they were how they were educated and prepared. And so they would they would leave their job to go find what it was that they were looking for. And what you will notice during this time is when Apple was really coming on, blowing up. You know and and Yahoo started to blow up, and the, the, the whole e-commerce business started to blow up. And those companies, like Google, you, you go to an industrial age company today, and, and I do it often. It's my clients, and they often ask me, "How do I, how do I make my 
my workplace like a Google, right? That the people mm-hmm. love to come to work and they'll, there are all these creatives and stuff. And I tell them, well, you have to, you have to do, you have to operate your business in the model of your business like Google operates their business in their model, which is completely, there are two different ways of looking at the world, two different ways of looking at business, two different ways of looking at how do you make money, two different ways of looking at how is some, how do you determine somebody's productivity? What is creativity and innovation? All those things are completely different. Uh, and then in summary, what I'll put for your generation, the reason why that, that so you're saying our generation has these, you know, within a five-year span or eight-year span, we might have tried three or four different jobs. Part of that reason in there, it's not universal, but part of that reason in there is that your generation was prepared for jobs that had not yet been invented. Wow. And and are you are you interested in that as a as a as a little aside to go into or? Yes, definitely, because I'm definitely going to ask you about the connected age as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good, good, good. Okay. So what 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 what's your what's your next question? Or do you want me to continue with that thought? No, please continue with that thought, please. Okay. Okay. Uh, I was I was in the classroom teaching high school seniors. Our, our school wanted to have a, uh, I came out of business, uh, executive leadership in business. I owned businesses, I ran businesses, uh, made a lot of money uh, for myself as well as for others. I had a life change at about age 38. Uh, it was well, it, I had a spiritual life change, a spiritual experience where I, I went from believing in, in Jesus and I was a Christian and I knew all the, uh, I had read, the, I was reading the Bible all the time, but I, I didn't have an active relationship with God. I just believed that he, that he existed and that Jesus existed, and I guess I'd find out one day if it was really true. There came a Sunday, I was in a church, we weren't going to the church at the time, we were trying to find a church for our, Sunday, for our kids to get into a Sunday school, and uh, in the second service we were in that particular church, uh, the Lord changed me. I mean, he, he, he literally changed me. I went from believing that it, that it was true to knowing that it was true mm. in an inward truly manifested inward manner that has never changed it is my life changed from that moment on as a result of that I, I went in I left the business world it took me three years to get out of it because I was totally enmeshed in it I ended up going to seminary uh, to a Baptist seminary in New Orleans got a master divinity degree I had no idea what I was going to do I got got out, and as the Lord led me, I ended up teaching at a, a Christian school. Uh, it went there as a science teacher initially, and then became the Bible department head and taught Bible for 12 years. But in this in this time of teaching these students, I was asked to develop a leadership program for high school seniors, how they can enter into the college, because at that point, and still is, that most students who are Christian in high school lose their faith in college. So how can we prepare our students so that they don't lose their faith in college? And so I came up with this idea of a, I went into a, a seminar at a school in Texas that was that had a leadership academy. And I came back to the school. I presented it to the headmaster. He said, well, can we do something that's unique to our school? And I said, I don't think that should be impossible. And I, I spent a, a Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, with just this download, if it didn't come from me, it was just like out of my hands onto the computer, with just words and pages and PowerPoint presentation. And it ended up being what was called 
the institute of leadership for the school. And mm. as I as I started to do the research on actually how to implement this thing, I enrolled at Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas in a doctor of ministry degree in organizational leadership to find out how do I build something like this. So I said, well, part of what I need to find out is who who am I who am I who am I training? Who are these students? What's the what, are the, what does the research say? Who millennials are? It was that when I was doing that research, I just we've heard for years that it's important to have a diversified portfolio. You know what I mean? Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, that kind of thing. But if you've ever really looked at a breakdown of the most successful portfolios, you'll typically see a diversified set of real estate. So why isn't it one of the first asset classes you consider when you're looking to diversify? It's pretty simple. It hasn't been available to investors like you and me until now. And that's thanks to Fundrise. Fundrise makes it easy for all investors to diversify by building you a portfolio of institutional quality real estate investments. So whether you're just starting to invest in real estate or looking to add more, our friends at Fundrise have you covered. And here is how. To date, Fundrise manages more than $1 billion in assets for 130,000 plus investors. And since 2014, the Fundrise platform has averaged 8.7 to 12.4% annual returns and investors have earned more than $79 million in dividends alone. Not only that, the greatest thing that I like about Fundrise is to get started for someone like me who hasn't really delved into the uh, real estate portfolio or the real estate asset side of things. To get me started, they have this wonderful questionnaire that you can go through and it puts you, once you finish it, it lets you know where you can start and what you need to do. Also, the Fundrise team of real estate professionals carefully vet and actively manages all of their real estate projects. And with their easy-to-use website, you can track your own portfolio's performance and watch as properties across the country are acquired, improved, and operated via asset updates. So start building your better portfolio today. Get started with Fundrise.com slash success to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. Again, that's Fundrise, F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash success to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. Again, that's Fundrise dot com slash success. Covered this disparity of the workplace between um, who I knew to be the students and what they were like. I mean, they're energetic, super educated, much more educated than I was ever educated. Uh, and, and just on fire to go and do something great in the world. And yet when they got to the workplace, they were just disparaged and, and ridiculed mm. by the people who were in the workplace. Right. It was uh, about halfway through that, that research, I, I recognized and it was I was at my computer. I couldn't put it all together. I had, I don't know, 100 journal articles and several books and magazine articles that I was reviewing. And four words came to me. One of them was philosophy. Or you can just think of the idea of honesty. How do we know what's true or not? Or telling, a, and that, that's under this broad category of philosophy. Uh, the next one was uh, economics, or how do we, how do we make money? How does a person make money? So this idea of economics. Next was technology. You know what what role does technology have? And the last one was education. How do people earn education? So I wrote those four phrases down: philosophy, 
uh, economics, technology, education. And when I went back in the literature and I started looking at it, that's when I realized there was a significant age change. I'm, as I've said, you know, I read the Bible all the, every year. I read the Bible all the way through every year. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm always a student of the, of the Word of God. And it says in Ecclesiastes 1, 9, and 10, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new? It has already existed in the ages before us. So when I saw what was happening in this literature, I said, you know, that this is, has, ha has had to have happened before. And so when I looked at it, just this whole uh, thing with the millennials entering the workforce, it's had to have happened before. What I discovered was this in the, the area of philosophy or honesty, how do we know what, how do we know what we know? is that area of philosophy. The Western philosophy has been in control of the Western world, the way, way Western minds think, for 2,600 years. It started in the 6th century B.C. and lasted until 1950. During that time, it had three different philosophic ages. It started off with what was called uh, ancient, uh, ancient philosophy, then 1,100 years later in the 5th century A.D., Medieval philosophy came in, lasted another 1,100 years, and then modern philosophy came in in the 1600s. And in 1950, the philosophical age died when the seat of Western philosophy in Germany and in France was totally decimated by World War II. And we're living in this period called postmodernism or postmodern period. And really, postmodernism is anti-philosophy. There's nothing true. There's nothing really noble other than your, what you know yourself. So mm -hmm. to say what is truth or what is honesty is it's all a personal construct. Um, and we're still living in that today. Here we are in 2020, still living for that today. It happened in 1950. This, this change of a philosophical age of, has only, this is the only the third time in 2,600 years that Western philosophy has been interrupted and we've, we've entered into a, a gray period. This is significant. It is very significant. That's why you see in the world today, and in your generation, was raised in what's called a totally most postmodern culture, where you were taught and raised that there is no ultimate truth. Uh, each person has their own idea of what their truth is, mm -hmm. and this idea of lying. No one. There really is no such thing as a lie, as long as you can get away with it, get what you want, and nobody gets hurt. In essence, that becomes justice instead of a lie. That becomes your benefit. <laughs> so all that, and boomers and, and a lot of extras were raised in a totally different different culture. And so that's the first age shift we had. We had a philosophic age shift or an age, an age shift of what is truth or what is honesty. It is totally different for a boomer versus a millennial. And it's, yeah, it's not okay. because of you, you came up with the idea. It was you were taught those ideas. So that was the first age shift that happened. And the other one was the whole idea of the, the globalization, uh, the economics changed. We're, uh, right now we're trying to go back to manufacturing in the United States. But over a 60-year period from the 19, late 1950s all the way until 2010, uh, our manufacturing industry moved uh, to Mexico initially, then to Canada, then to Korea, South Korea, and now to China. 
And our economy changed as a result of that. Mm -hmm. We started doing global business. used to do local business, buy local. Then it was buy within the state or buy regionally. Now it's buy globally. You you never know where you get it. You you can order something from Amazon or some other site, but you don't really know ultimately where it's coming from. It's probably coming from China, actually. But but that changed your whole economy, how we do business. Uh, mm-hmm. The next one was the technology. Boomers and a lot of extras, but mo- all boomers were raised in this old idea of an industrial age mindset. We were ra- we were educated in rows and columns, with the teacher at the front of the room being the subject matter expert. And, mo- and millennials, you were taught typically in groups. You maybe still had the rows and columns, but the high school I taught at, they actually sat in a circle or around an oval table, and they were, there was a discussion. There was no, I, I was a facilitator, wow. I wasn't the subject matter expert. And the difference between those two things is, is, is significant. In the industrial age, you were trained, trained or taught, this is what we do and this is how we do it, and you will do it the same way and repeat that process. The connected age, we went through three ages. We went through information age, then, uh, then, then the, the technology, technology age, information age, and then the connected age. But in that process, what was happening in education I wouldn't have understood it unless I had been an educator, was this. Education is, is not just involved with subject matter uh, knowledge at a, at a grade level. Education as a whole goes all the way through postdoctorate uh, education. And so when you say, if someone's going to get a doctorate degree in, say, 20 years from now in uh, engineering, I'll just use engineering because that's my background, as a civil engineer in 20 years, what are we going to have to teach them in first grade? second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, all the way through high, junior high school, high school, college, in the graduate program that will allow them to occupy a job in 20 years that will be available in civil engineering. In the industrial age, that was well known. We've known those things for 400 years now. We've been in the industrial age for 400 years. Okay. You build things, you do things with your hands, you make machines, machines make things. Right. Your generation was the first generation where computers started to show up at mom and dad's office at work. Yeah. So mom and dad were working on computers. Teachers back in the classroom were saying, wow, these computers have you know, come into my husband or my wife's business and they're using them at work. I wonder what those computers are going to be like in 20 years. What do we need to teach a first grader today that in 20 years when these computers get to be whatever they're going to be in 20 years that they're going to need to know? Well, nobody knew. So they kept t- teaching it as they did. About in the early 19, uh, late 1980s, early 1990s, com- desktop computers entered the classroom. Yeah, and teachers I remember. said, wait a minute, now we have these computers in our classroom. How is this going to affect our teaching of our students? And if our students now have access to this in the classroom, what is that going to be for a job in 20 years when they graduate from college in 20 years? They had the head of education, the education department at Duke University in 2014 wrote in a book at that, that, at that time, so six years ago, that the students that were in elementary school in 2014, 60% of the jobs that they will occupy when they graduate from college have not yet even been invented. Now, that would be just 10 years out. This professor was saying 60% wow. of the jobs that they would occupy haven't been invented, and that's just 10 years. So what are you going to do in the next 10 years to educate a student for a job that hasn't been invented? So then edu- education had to, had to reorient itself totally and say, we need to start training students for jobs that have not yet been invented. How do you do that? 
Well, you train them to ask questions about what they're going to do. Ah, okay. This is this is what happened when students entered the entered the workforce. You were probably trained. Uh, I'm just saying, you may or may not. But most millennials that enter the workforce have been trained to ask two questions: What are you doing, and how do you do it? And so when they <laughs> would enter the when they enter their job, they'd say, "Okay, uh, I'm here to report for work." And the boomer would he or she would give them a, a, some paperwork. To fill all this stuff out. Now, here's your first job assignment. Go and do this. And they're like, well, what is this? Don't ask me what it is. Just go and do it. You're college educated. You should be able to figure that out. And they go back and sit in their desk and they go, I have no idea what to do with this. What do they want me to do with this? And so they go back and say, what do you want me to do with this? And that's where this tension would rise up because the, the millennial would ask the boomer, what is it that you're doing? And they would, the, the, the boomers say, this is what we're doing. And they would say, why? why? They, the big question is why. Why and how? Why are you doing what you're doing and how are you are doing what you're doing? And the boomer would get all upset. To do, and somebody's asking them why they're doing it. Like, because I said so. <laughs> you know, go sit down and, and, and do your job. See, they're not being cooperative. They're not, they're not helping us. And so, but the why question that the millennials were trained to ask was not why they're doing it. They, they're not. You know, millennials are the most educated generation in human history. Your your generation is the, without any doubt, globally, the most educated generation in human history because of all the competition you all had to get into college and to get to graduate from high school, all the testing, the standardized testing. You wow. Had. We never had to do any of that. We would just, you know, we never had homework, you know, typically. And you all had you know, five hours of homework. <laughs> Five hours of homework a night. You had to get prepared for the SAT, the ACT. The, you know, the, oh my goodness! Extracurricular activities. You had to be, you know, some kind of leadership so on your much. resume. We, so we never had any of that stuff. We never had any of that stuff. <laughs> anyway, so but the why that they're looking for that they were trained to ask is not why they're doing it because they know why you're they know why they're being asked to do this. They're at they're, the question why is I'll, I'll give you an example here. Go fill out this paperwork on a permit an environmental permit for, for, a, for a client. And they would say, well, why are we doing this? They said, because I said so. No, no, no. Okay, I, I, I'll listen to your why. Why? What do you mean by why? Why are you? Why is the client required to fill out this permit? Well, because it's a state regulation. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's always the why. <laughs> yeah. why. Why is it a state regulation? Well, because they passed a law in 1972 that said they had to do this. Why did, this is the millennial asking this question. Why did they pass the law in 1972 that said they had to do this? Because now here we are in 2020 living with something that they passed in 1972. Well, because they had this issue going on at the time that was causing this environment, and this was of an environmental concern. That is the why. There was an environmental Yay. concern in 1972 that this law came into effect that is now making everybody fill out these permit applications. So with that information, then the, then the student asks, well, how do you do this? Well, we fill out the paperwork here. We, we have these forms we get from the state. We have to answer all of these questions. And the, again, the student's like, well, how is this done? In other words, how is what you're doing on this form answering the initial reason why this law was ever brought into place? And the person would probably at that point just say, just go do your job and stop asking these questions. <laughs> and, but if the if the and when I go into businesses and help them and 
help try to help their, the boomer leadership see and the executive see and their team see and even the millennials see that where this the disconnects coming in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I tell the boomers, I say, if you would just tell the millennials the why and, and talk talk it out with them all the way down to the why is this is being done to your best extent, and then using your vast knowledge of your institutional knowledge within your organization, how you do this and how this is commonly done within your industry. And then assign your millennial team, one to three of your best millennials you have on staff, that their job is to look at the why and the how, and, the, and if they can, to come up with a better, faster, cheaper way to do it than, than, you, than you do it. And typically, and I, and I always challenge the people that do this, I, and, I, and they typically do it. And I said, usually within three days, and possibly shorter, they're going to come back to your office, not just with the solution, but with an app on their phone to actually implement it. And and they're like, no, really. I said, no, really. They're going to come back because I said, you know, they don't all know how to code. They don't all know how to make an app, but they know a friend who knows how to code and make an app. And once they mm-hmm. get the why down of why it needs to be done, they're going to take off all the stuff that's been done in the last 40 years is out the window. Because we have technologies – we have technologies available today that were not even even in the in the mind of the person who made up the regulation 40 years ago. Right. Uh, they they're going to come up with a new solution that is better, faster, cheaper that puts you out of business if it was ever implemented. And I said and that's what you want to discover. Those are the disruptor businesses, and that's what millennials are. There. That's why I, part of the reason why I wrote this book was to to unleash millennials into the freedom to do this because. Your generation is going to do this. They're not being allowed to do this right now for various reasons within business because it would just really disrupt the, the, the businesses that are doing their business today. But when your generation in 2025, 75% of the global workforce is going to be millennial, your generation is going to do the work like you want to do the work. And all of these things are going to happen anyway. And and uh, so that's kind of the the – background on this change, the two age, the industrial age and the connected age, and why there was this disparity in the workplace, and what I tried to help people do in the process. No, thank you, because you just, okay, so for for our Secrets of Success podcast uh, listeners, I hope you're taking notes. Um, Millennials. I hope you're taking notes so you can understand how to better speak to not only boomers that you work for, but the boomers that are your customers, the boomers that you um, are are partnering with, because if you know how to communicate with them, you can help them understand how to communicate with you. Boomers that we have listening to us, I hope you are taking notes as well, because what you just did, Dr. Zimmerman, was explained so much, and you also explained why the the five and six year olds are always asking the question why. We us millennials literally took that why question and took it into our workplace with us. Because if you tell us why you're doing it, like the heart of why you're doing it, we'll do exactly what you just said. Like, okay, well if that's why, then I can find an easier, faster <laughs> way to do it. That'll, that's that's more cost efficient, and we can switch this up real quick and make it a lot easier on ourselves. Because as millennials, it, you know, because we're we're not if we can if we can find a way to save us time but still do the job effectively and efficiently, 
we will figure it out. We just have to know why we're doing what we're doing. And if you tell us how to do it, like, okay, so this is why we're doing it. So how are we doing it now? Like, what is this step process? Like, we're not asking you to be smart, Alex. We're not asking you because we don't understand. We just want a more in-depth explanation so we can get a better understanding of your process. And then once you give us your process, then we can break it down to our process and find a way find a way in the new age to be able to break it down. And that actually brought me to another question. When it comes to entrepreneurs, you, you're finding more entrepreneurs are millennials and Generation Xers. Is that because of the connected age and everything that you just explained to us? Like instead of us going into the workplace, we're finding we're finding the faster the faster, easier, most efficient and effectively way to do it and just starting our own businesses. Is that why you're seeing such a boom in entrepreneurship amongst the millennials and the and the and the Xers? I think that in the in terms of the Xers, uh, this next thing I will explain to you is this is the hidden. <laughs> No one's talking about this, but it's 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 huge. Um, it's called the the missing X generation. Uh, boomers, uh, demographically, as far as numbers, have been estimated to be around 80 million people, 80 uh, men and women in the United States. Uh, and I guess from an age perspective, a boomer would be like 59 and 59 and up to like 74 or 76, something like that. Okay. Uh, a a Xer would be uh, like 58 to 39, that's the extra range, 58 to 39, somewhere around there. And then a, mm -hmm. a millennial would be 38 to 21, 20 to 38 or 21 to 38. So that would be a millennial. At the X, and there's 80 million boomers, and there's 80 to 100 million millennials, depending upon the demographer, because they just really haven't gotten a good good idea of how many there actually are. But there's, there's as many or more millennials than there are boomers. Xers that are in the middle, there's only about 40 million Xers, 40 to 45 million generation Xers, which is half of what the boomers are and the millennials are. A lot of people mm -hmm. wonder why there was such a small generation. Uh, during the time that Xers were being born or conceived, uh, we're, uh, uh, we had the uh, uh, birth control was, was legalized, abortion was legalized, and we had the Vietnam War. Those three combined, well, you know, you can take abortion, right? 30 million, uh, 30 million people have been aborted in the United States in the last 40 years. It might be more than that, 40 million. That might be your, your millennials, right? I mean, your, your extras right there, a lot of them. So we've, we've aborted wow. a lot of children. We had a lot of children never conceived because we had birth control. Uh, but for whatever reason, by the time millennials came along, we, we jumped back up. So what that means is that if you're if you're looking for somebody with 25 years of experience who would be an Xer to, to fill a particular position, there's only half of many of them as the people who are currently have, holding the position. So for every boomer that retires, or let's say for every, yeah, for every boomer that retires, or actually for every two boomers that retire, there's only one Gen Xer who can replace them. And so there's this middle management shortage because all the boomers are now in their late 50s. The youngest boomers are in the late, way late 50s, you know, about to turn 60, and the people in the middle, there's not enough extras to take their, their place. And so for the last 10 years in the United States, we've had this H-1B, I think, uh, I think that's the term of it, for a, a visa that someone can get to come to the United States and do a job that 
is not currently being filled by a U.S. citizen. And that, and so a lot of industry, if you're if, if you have familiar with people working with industry, big industry, they have a lot of foreign nationals in here from India, Iran, Iraq, uh, from Europe, who are doing these middle management jobs. And so they're typically in their 40s or early 50s, and they're doing these middle management jobs. And the reason why they're here is that they're there are no extras here in the United States to fill that. And the reason why there's no extras is they were never born. Once you get that, that the extras were never born to be an engineer. They were never born to go into business. They were never born to go into science. They, they, didn't, they, they didn't go to first grade because they were never born. And so when you realize that, then what's going to happen as the last of these boomers retire. So if you had 40 million extras, half the boomers have already retired. Those 40 million extras are probably already occupying a boomer retired position. There was a boomer that was sitting in there before them. For the next boomer that retires, there's no more extras left to fill their spot. So that means that the 38-year-old millennial is going to have to jump into a position that's normally occupied by a 45- or 48-year-old exer. And they're, they're just not prepared. Industry just hasn't prepared them because they just haven't recognized the fact that when they put this advertisement out for somebody with 25 years of experience or 20 years of experience, they're not going to get any responses. You know? and, and so I've also been trying to tell the, the, uh, the people I work with, to, to, it's time to start training your older millennials to start taking over boomer positions. Right now, you just need to get them ready to, to step up a level because they're going to skip a whole uh, – uh, managerial level on their way up. So I say that for your for your listeners out there. If they're in their mid-30s and they're looking to advance, uh, one of the coaching programs I have is to help people align in their career path how to develop and advance along their particular career path. So the development is not for their next job that it would be normally that they would get. The, the advancement that I want them to shoot for is for that boomer position that's going to come open in the next three to five years uh, and get ready to take that position because there's not going to be any other options or very few other options for your, the companies to, to, to gain from the outside, outside the company. Uh, so there, there's a, a real issue in the workplace in regards to generational, uh, generational changes. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if that, if that answered your, your question. No, it did. It did. Thank you very much. And so that brings me to my next question. Um, so the name of your book is Unleash the Millennials and Save the World. So why why did you title it that? And what do you, what do you mean by Unleash the Millennials and Save the World? Well, a, 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 a great question, and it goes back to everything we've just been talking about. <laughs> the the world is about to is about to change. In my book, it's available on Amazon, a paperback, and also a Kindle ebook. That's under the title "Unleash the Millennials and Save the World." Uh, what I what I have in there is the the reality of of something I call a millennium change cycle. And what I mean by that is that as you look back on the past, remember nothing is nothing is new under the sun. Whatever is here has been before. So when you look mm-hmm. back on the past of when you look at like times that we were living in right now, if you look back in the time past where you've had such a tremendous generational change between the, the boomers and Xers and the millennials, which are which are a unique, the most educated generation in human history, I can't reemphasize that enough globally. 
what what happens typically if you look back in the past when something like this happens and it doesn't happen frequently but it has happened in the past and everything changes i'm talking about everything changes so that within 15 or 20 years you will not recognize the future if you were trying to guess what the future is going to look like today uh, you wouldn't be able to even guess it it's kind of like occupying jobs that had not yet been invented and when you're in, and i say it's going to happen by 2040 if you were to and you'll live, be living in 2040. Myself, uh, I, 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 good health and exercise, I should be in 2040. But as we look back in 2020 and 20 years, we're not going to recognize the way that we're living in 2040. We're not going to recognize how we used to live. And, and what I mean wow. by that is that that if you looked at, um, it, this all goes back to philosophy and science. For, over the la- for the last 100 years and actually more, uh, philosophy, the, the proponents of philosophy came out in the late 1700s and early 1800s to say that, that God does not exist. They are finally willing to admit that God does not exist. There is no God. We just need to figure out how to be human and without the existence of God or gods. No Greek gods or Roman gods or Christian gods or Muslim gods or Hindu gods. No gods exist. When Darwinism presented his, his famous uh, thesis, on the evolution of man, that gave the, the, the philosophic atheists the ability to say, you see, there's proof. There is no God. We are, we are an evolved species. We're just a cosmic accident. And with that, so since about the 1860s, all the way through today, the, the academy within sciences and philosophy and even theology in a lot of areas have eliminated the whole concept or idea of God. And actually what they eliminated also was anything outside the physical realm. They became what was called philosophical materialists. All that exists is the material world. There is no spiritual realm where in the universe is in essence in a closed system. So all the mathematics that was first done by Maxwell and Planck and Einstein and all these guys who, who are the foundational you know, fathers of the sciences that we have today were under this understanding that we were living in in a closed system. So they had to do all their math and all their calculations with this idea that there is no outside source of energy. There is no outside source of of input from outside of our space-time dominion in which we live. Well, what we've come to discover in the last, and so as a result of that, nobody could talk about anything being open, anything outside the closed system. You couldn't bring theology or God into any of the sciences or anything. You were just ridiculed and kicked out of the collegiate academy. You lost your position, your college positions. Even if you're a tenured professor, you'd be pushed out of the university if you tried to bring any semblance of God or gods or any kind of spiritualness or anything operating outside this closed system. There's nothing other than physical. Well, what they've discovered in the last 50 years, doing science has indicated all the sciences are indicated. I am determined to be rich. The middle class is not for me. I need news that cares about me. And not news that's going to scare me or make me mad at another people. I need news without politics. And I want news that will point me to the money. This is the news where it happens. The moments that change the world. These are the stories we need. The info that we care about. We only give you news that puts money in your pocket. And the news that gives us an advantage. 
This is the work that continues. Who we are today. And what we can become. Tomorrow. That's it. This is where news without agendas can lead us. Your wealth matters. This is why more perspectives make us stronger. And how our mission can inspire. Tomorrow. This is journalism that helps the world we live in. This is Mexit News. That this is not a closed system, meaning that there is something going on. There's input from what they call uh, the vacuum, and, and it's not just like you suck air out, but there's the idea of a vacuum, the space vacuum. If you go leave the planetaries, leave Earth, and you go out and sit on the uh, uh, space station, and you were to walk outside without a space suit, you would soon encounter the vacuum of space. Most people always thought that it was it was empty. There was there was nothing there. It was just empty. Well, it's not empty. It's full of stuff. The vacuum is full of stuff. And subatomic particle physics studies that they've been doing have have shown that in this, when you get down to what they call zero point energy within this vacuum system, there is a there is a, uh, a great conflict going on between the material realm and the non-material realm at that interface between the physical realm and the non-physical realm, where they've been able to identify things pop in and then they pop back out. They pop mm -hmm. into the physical realm and then they pop back out of the physical realm. And in that interchange, there's a lot of energy that's exchanged. And they call it zero-point energy as a result of that. That's where this, this, there, there is a whole new realm of, of, of energy systems that are currently being researched and developed that's, that's trying to harness this, what they call zero-point energy, where there's energy coming from outside of our space-time domain. It's coming from somewhere else. Uh, so they're trying to harness that. Your generation, is, 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 so that, that's the first one. The next one, I'll, I'll get back to how your generation is going to interact with this and why we unleash the millennials and save the world. The next one to come out is this uh, is well the, the solving of the human genome. You know when 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 Darwin made his his uh, theory of evolution, uh, he they they thought of the cell as just as a blob. You know they, they they just thought the cell was just a blob. Well, in the blob we have now discovered there's all kinds of many machines in there, and inside the nucleus of the of the blob, there's this DNA strand and an RNA strand. And on that DNA strand are all the assembly instructions for every cell in the body, and including the cells of the that make up the machines that do all the processing within the cells. It's unbelievable. They the the it's over like four I don't know, a billion and a half or two billion characters long. If if you were to stretch out literally stretch out the DNA strand, because it is actually a strand of the that's inside the nucleus of the cell, it would be over six feet long. There's something that's over six feet long in the nucleus of each cell, and that in the assembly in the those assembly instructions in the nucleus of each cell determines how everything on your entire body is assembled. Well, that is information, and it's not just random information, randomly assembled. It's assembly instruction information to create a machine that's then going to work in the body to create your heart, then your va heart valve, and all the cells that are working in your heart valve. It's unbelievable. Uh, as a result of that, they've come to recognize that that information did not come from here. So when they, look, they talk to the, the, the biologists who are, who, are, who, have, or, or who are now what's called neo-Darwinists because they still don't know where life came from, and they still don't know how we evolved because there is no true evidence for evolution, for uh, uh, macroevolution, large-scale evolution from 
from a cat going to a, a lion, not a lion, but a cat going to a bird or something like that, you know, a, a species mm-hmm. change. There's no direct evidence of a species change. Uh, but there is direct evidence that this language that's here, this information is here, did, did not come from here. And how they determine that is that if they just use random mutation, so you got to take a two billion characters, and this, this, the DNA strand has to be perfect the first time. In other words, if there's an error in the DNA strand, it, it won't make what it's trying to make. It's a failure. So the whole thing has to be lined up perfect the first time. And so the odds of making that or the, the chances of making that are, are, are more than all of the particles in the universe. If all of the particles in the universe were to, to, to bump up against each other, that would be the random, you know, the random collision that would cause the mutation. There's not enough particles in the universe for that to occur. And the time that that would be required to, to occur is in the billions of years beyond what they even think is the longest extent the Earth has ever been here. So they realize that the life on the Earth as we explain it biologically is not explainable because of this thing of DNA. So now what they've said is that we're, you know, some have postulated, Richard Dawkins is one of them, the postulates were actually an alien implant. There's aliens from other star systems that have had the billions of years to evolve. They came to Earth, saw it was a nice place of habitation to have life, and so they seeded genetic material on the Earth, and that's where we came from. And they only say that because they have no other explanation. Again, this goes back to this idea of having an open system or a closed system. On the closed system, there was no ability to even think about God or, or gods or somehow that we were created from the outside that we just didn't happen to pop here by accident. Once you take that, once you get that genetic information, it opens the door for this idea of theology to re-enter back in. Well, did God really place us here? I mean, that's a, that's a valid question. Is there design in the universe? That's a valid question. Where did this design of the universe come from? So then you have this whole other thing with cosmology and the fine-tuning of the universe. I won't get to all that, but as you get into that, it's <laughs> unbelievable how fine-tuned the universe is. That even if the gravitational, right. the force of gravity, was changed even like a little, like one to the ten to the minus fifteenth power. I mean, like just a small smidgen, it, the gravity we wouldn't exist. Nothing bigger than a, you know, a, a, a grain of sand would even exist. Uh, and there's like 15 of these these principles, these these uh, cosmological principles or laws that are out there that if anyone were, were, were changed by any of the minutest amount, uh, we wouldn't be here. And so that's become known as the anthropic principle that says that science indicates that human life on the earth was designed for the very purpose of discovering that human life is on the earth. <laughs> it's because it's, there's no other explanation for it. We're here. We're on the earth. We know that. How did we get here? Well, it had to have been, these are atheists who were saying this, it had to have been designed for that exact purpose, that the Earth is exactly where it is, our galaxy to allow us to do uh, uh, cosmological investigations, the moon is exactly the size to see the coronasphere of the sun during an eclipse that provides us the ability to tell what gases are on the sun, therefore be able to make uh, cosmological uh, interpretations of others' suns that we see out there. So, So all that to say is that what science has been able to reveal in the last 50 years has indicated there's not a closed system. So this idea of unleashing the millennials is this, is to unleash the millennials in going and to investigate each of those areas in this area of truth and honesty. What is really true? What is really honest? And what they will discover is initially they will be have a lot of pushback from seniors, which are late, late 70s, early 80s, early 80s into their hundreds, 
the senior generation and the boomer generation that have been pushing this false narrative for their entire careers that there is a closed system. They are going to push back very hard because this is what they've taught forever. And it's part of it's because that's what they believe. They don't they don't believe in an open system. They never thought that there was an open system. Another th reason why is that they don't want to be they don't want to have taught a lie. But what the millennial generation is going to discover as your generation goes and starts looking at these things because of the from the perspective of why is this being done? Why are you doing science like you're doing science? You're going to discover that the the a priori or the prior assumptions that scientists have made are wrong. And that they are wrong to such a significant degree that everything is going to change once you discover how to harness what is really right. Uh, and this idea of saving the world it, it is because what you're going to discover can either have a very great consequence for humankind or a very negative consequence for humankind. And it's all going to enter into the workforce. Everything that's being done is going to enter into the workforce eventually. So like right now, the first thing that's coming in is AI, right? Artificial intelligence coming into the workforce. And in three years, three to five years, especially after we get out of this, the, the, our current situation in the United States and, and, and start progressing again toward technology-driven um, uh, access of artificial intelligence, it's going to come and replace a lot of jobs that are currently being done by humans are going to be done by machines. And what control do we give those machines? How much control do we give a machine? I think I just saw a commercial for television that talked about AI gone wild. There's a whole show that they're developing on this AI gone wild. It's going to kill people and all this kind of stuff. The question is, or the reality is, millennials are the only generation that have the technical wherewithal and the mindset to be able to handle this because this we have never encountered this. Boomers have never encountered something like this. They would have, they have to handle. We don't know what to do. Your generation was trained to address this situation. You don't necessarily know what to do right now, but you'll figure it out. And the, and the idea of saving the world is to figure it out before we destroy ourselves with it, with either AI technology or some human genetic uh, 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 clone that we make or some uh, genetic change that we make in the, in the animal kingdom or in the, in the uh, agricultural realm. Uh, there's all kinds of very scary stuff that's out there in regards to what we could actually do today. But in 10 years, what can we do is going to be, could be catastrophic. And so I write this, again, this idea of saving the world is that my prayer is that the millennial generation within your generation will rise up scientists and engineers and theologians and mathematicians who will, in the in academic setting, in the college setting, Start to ask the why and how questions that they're asking once they get to work. And stop uh, trusting and believing that what they're being told is true. Uh, we have been, as a boomer myself, I can say that our generation, I'm just gen speaking generationally, has lied to the Xers and the millennials. And it wasn't me. I didn't. I haven't known any different, I guess. But I've carried on that lie because I say, oh, yes, the theory of relativity of the Einstein is absolutely true or whatever. I don't know that really to be the case. But the, so your generation needs to go and find out what it was Einstein saying and how is it impacted by an open system. Uh, genetics, uh, this is what science that believes about evolution, biological evolution. What happens in an open system um, so that you can, you can truly solve the world? I think that in the, the whole idea of free energy and anti-gravitational 
uh, uh, flight and all. I think all that all that technology has already been developed. I think it's already here, but you're but no one has been allowed access to it. For a lot of various reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, the world's run on energy, right? You saw what happened when oil dropped to ten dollars a barrel. Same time the pandemic started. Was the you know the whole United States industry went crazy? The oil industry went crazy. Ten dollars a barrel, they you know it cost them twenty dollars a barrel to just to drill the well. That didn't even get it to the refinery. You know they they got to be at forty dollars or above. At ten dollars, it's unbelievable. Well, if you come in with free energy, doesn't require oil at all. Uh, that everybody can hook up their their own home to a machine that's going to power their house with no with no outside source. Um, that's what this free energy. That's the, how revolutionary this is. That the, the economics of the world would uh, have a whole a lot to say about whether or not they would want that implemented. And if this is, and this is the thing that I've been hearing, or as I've studied this more and more, is how are you going to tax that? The, your generation is going to have to figure that out. Right now, oil and gas is taxed. Either it's taxed the pump, it's taxed when it's taken out of the ground, it's taxed as it's refined, it's taxed everywhere it, it can be taxed. And so the energy that we use when you turn on the light, there's a tax on your electric bill. Well, all that's going to the government. Well, if you have this idea of free energy, this is just one area, but if you have this idea of free energy where you're getting a, a, a machine that's outside of your house, it's very small, it's not as big as an air conditioner or smaller, that's powering your entire house, and there's nothing you have to pay for other than maintenance of the machine. How are they going to collect a tax on that? <laughs> and are they not? Right. So your so your generation is going to have to have to deal with that. Of how do we pay for for things that we want to do as from a tax perspective? How do we re regauge our taxes? Um, mm-hmm. The uh, how is it, how is the millennial generation going to save the world from uh, global debt. This is a huge one. I mean, the the, the yeah, boomers have, we've gotten ourselves in this mess. The boomers did, and we're and, and we've been very greedy, and we just, by the way, spent another eight trillion dollars of your money that you're going to have to repay one day to the treasury uh, for this pandemic relief. Uh, but that's really the first debt we've started to entail. I think Bush was one of the first ones that actually went into debt. Uh, and then Obama went into debt, doubled Bush's debt, and then we've you know, quadrupled the debt with this pandemic. Uh, it's been it's been unbelievable, but we're still not debt laden. We're still not a debt laden country. We've got a lot of debt, but we can pay it off. There are, we're still not as indebted as we were after World War II. After World War II, we went into a whole lot of debt to rebuild our country as well as the rest of the world. Uh, so we're still not there yet, but the rest of the world is in extreme debt. I think I heard Ireland's debt to GDP, gross domestic product, is like, I don't know, 1,500% or 2,000%, meaning that if they took everything that they made as gross domestic product and sold and took all of it, not just the tax revenue off the gross domestic product, but took the gross domestic product itself, it would take them 2,000 years just to repay the debt. Uh, They're never going to repay their debt. And there's many countries mm-hmm. out there that are never going to repay their debt. It's just a, it's a game that the World Bank plays and all the banks play. It's just a game of this money. So some, your generation is going to have to figure out how do we eliminate this debt globally so that we can get back on an even playing field. Uh, and so that's another thing about saving. Again, this idea of saving the world. Get your generation to start investigating this. And find out what is the truth? How did we get in this debt? What does this debt really mean? All right. It, it, you know, 
it's all based on trust. Money's based upon trust in the in the ability to what is backing this money. Uh, so uh, that so that's the idea of unleash the millennials to save the world. There's a lot to be done to save the world, and your generation is the generation <laughs> to do it. Wow, thank you. I've I've never thought about when you said for us to save the world. I've never thought about everything that you mentioned. Like we we hear about how Social Security is going to be. It may not even be available for us, you know, or even for those who are retiring now. And and so that's what we hear about. We hear about things like that, but we don't think about. The the debt the the debt of the United States versus the world like we don't think about how are we going to clear that up we we know that things are hard and it's up to us to figure out a way but we don't know specifically so thank you for naming specifics because when it comes to being an entrepreneur the the greatest way to be an entrepreneur is to find a way to be innovative so with everything oh, yeah. that you just said <laughs> so with oh, everything yeah. that you just said. You know, if we if we as millennials read your book and 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 pull out, you know, the things that we can do to save the world, then we can definitely get into a position where we can be more innovative than we already are. So we can't because there was a part that you uh, I was reading you say, you know, millennials will be the ones to save the world for the generation the next generation and the generation after that. What we do think about are our kids and our grandkids, like exactly what world are they going to look at? And if we have a better understanding, like you were saying earlier, the why. If you give us the why, we can turn it around and figure it out. But if you don't give us the why, we have to figure it out on our own, and it will take us a little longer. So thank you, because you writing your book will not only help, you know, not only help, the boomers, but also help us millennials have a better understanding of, like you said, we're in, we have this huge debt, <laughs> and if we don't figure it out, it's, it's going to be a rough a rough world for the next, for our kids and our grandkids. So thank you very much, Dr. Zimmer. Yeah, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you have a favorite superhero? Do you have a favorite superhero? Now, I actually like. Uh, let me see. It's not. It's, I actually like Jean, the Phoenix. It's she has her power. She doesn't have just one ability. Like her power is strong enough to take on the abilities or the powers of everyone else. She can control the wind of She can bend it like she wanted to. Because her mind is that strong. So I would say. It will be Jean, but not Jean as in Jean, Jean when she's the Phoenix. So that's what she can just let go and unleash it on her power. What, what, when, I, when I say, do you have a favorite superhero, what is the role of the superhero in your mind? What is the role when you think of a superhero? What's the role of the superhero? The role of the superhero to me is someone who sees what's wrong and finds a solution or sees the, the wrong path that we're going down and, and they create something to prevent that path or they or they they find something or they, they educate on what you're doing but more, more importantly keeping your love worse in the dark. 
you never know that they're actually doing what they're doing. All you see are the results of what they do, and the results always turn out better for you in the end. Right, and that's that's who your generation is. You were prepared as a generation to be the superheroes that will save this world. I just want you to know that 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 as you, if you look back on history, that it's always it's never the generation that gets a, that gets the world into a mess that saves the world. It's always the generation that's coming up that has been prepared to address the uniqueness of the the times that they find themselves in. Millennials are finding themselves in a time when the like in the United States we're having this this uh, discussion and sometimes a violent discussion of where we want to go, how we govern ourselves. Do we want to live under a socialistic, communistic system or do we want to live under a free market capitalistic system? That's a discussion that's going on. So no matter which which end the, the result's going to be, the the reality is that we're going to live under whatever system that that wins out. The but the but when you go down to what's underlying the truth of those systems, one system, the socialistic communistic uh, agenda, is is the old you call it the industrial age mindset. It was it was thought of in the 1700s, early 1800s. Uh, as, as being a system of government to live under, it's been tried many times. It has always failed because that's because it's an industrial age system. We are in it. We're now actually in a connected age. Your generation has the opportunity to look at where we are. How do we live societally? How do we how do we treat each other? How do we treat people from different countries? Uh, how do we trade with people from different countries? Um, how, you know. Your generation has global friends. My generation, boomers, you know, we, we might we'd be lucky if we have a friend in the next state. I mean, y'all have <laughs> connections with people around the world, right? Mm-hmm. And so in, in our generation and generations prior to us have tried over the last, in the, ninth, in the 20th century, which was supposed to be the century to end all centuries, to be peace and security across the whole earth. Brought in the deadliest wars. We, we, I think they say we killed 180 million people. More people died in the in the in wars and in conflicts and internal conflicts, revolutions, in the in the world in the 1900s than at any time in the history of the world combined. So you add up all the worlds, all the rev, all the wars, all the revolutions, all the stuff that people did since the beginning of time. More people died in the 1900s as a result of that than any other time in human history. That's who boomers and, and, and seniors are. That's, that's where we were educated in. That's where we came out of. That's, what we, that, that's where this socialism comes out of. That's where this agnosticism, atheism comes out of. Your generation was raised on a clean slate. You weren't, you weren't taught that there was a God or that there wasn't a God. It's whatever you wanted to believe. That you're perfectly right to and feel free to believe that way. Your generation is the first generation in a, probably well over a thousand years that has the opportunity to look at the world as it is today and say, what really is this reality that we're living in? <laughs> you know, if we get to be the determiner of what it is, what really is it? And and again, as you, it, I'm, I'm trusting that the millennials that will step up and start to investigate these, these areas, um, We'll do it in such a way that they'll go for truth. 
that they're not going to go for a lie. They're going to go for truth and something that they can, in fact, say this is where the evidence points. They don't have to, they're not going to be restricted by someone who says you can't look there. Even though the evidence is pointing over there, you can't look there. There's nobody going to be saying that to you anymore because they're, they're all going to be dead. Your generation gets to stand up and say, hey, which, where is this? Where does this lead us? And how can we best uh, orchestrate the things that we know that are true in a manner that allows humanity to coexist uh, in a way that, that does bring peace on the earth and allows uh, individual freedom, whether that's religious freedom or, or freedom not to be religious. Uh, it's, 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 you know, it's not, I'm not saying as a Christian that it would have to be forced to, it would be, forced to be Christian because that's between God and the individual, right? The, the relationship right. is between God and the individual. If there's individuals in the world that don't know God or don't care to know God, they they should be allowed to continue as they are, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and it's just the way it works. The world's always been the world, and 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 until the end of the world, it's not going to change. And so, how can we coexist in a world that has that as a uh, framework? And and I'm very right. hopeful that your generation is the generation that will do that for us. Well, I thank you, Dr. Zimmerman. I do because you you press on quite a few things that us as millennials actually do think about. Like we we sit there and we we saw the age of don't ask questions, just do. Like and we 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 sat here and we watched our parents, their parents. Like we we've seen the results of our grandparents' decisions. And we're sitting here and we're watching the results of our parents' decisions and we're like, okay, what what are we going to have to do to make sure that this doesn't happen to us? You know, exactly. with the with the internet we were able to pay more attention to foreign trade, foreign politics, you know, foreign communications. We deep we dig deeper into other cultures so that we can understand them. Because we we have a different understanding than our parents and our grandparents, you know our our understanding is we all have to work together. So in order for us to do that, so over here in this country, this is what they're dealing with, and this is how it's affecting us here. Over here in this yeah. country, this is what they're dealing with, and this is how it's affecting us here. So how can we all come together as a globe, as a as the human race to fix this issue so our children don't have to deal with this and their children don't have to fix any issues. You know, so you have pointed out a lot of things that we don't you have verbalized a lot of things that us millennials do think about, you know, and you've opened up an entirely different aspect for, you know, the generation before us. So there is there is a better understanding. Like in in Antonio's in Antonio's um, network, we have boomers, Xers, and millennials. Like we have all three generations, yeah, well. and and we sat there and we've listened to you know the boomers tell us you know yeah we had to do this and figure this out, you know or. As a millennial, I've actually spoken to boomers, and they're like, thank you for your patience when it comes to trying to explain something to them or, or help them with something because we do understand that there is a there is a communication barrier. <laughs> it's a huge communication barrier. But I thank you, Dr. Zimmerman, for taking the time and actually 
paying attention to the different generations and the barrier and actually saying, okay, look, yes, this is how it was, but you, this, this is what millennials are doing. When you first started talking and you broke down the we always ask why, and we don't ask why out of being disrespectful, like, why should I do, have to do this? But, okay, so why do we do this? You know, when you broke that down, you literally just, you broke down the barrier right there. Whatever wall there was between us that we couldn't understand, you broke it down there. Because that's exactly why we ask why. <laughs> yeah. It's a very good, it's, it's the, it is the perfect question to ask in the time in which we live. Mm-hmm. Because of all the things that are going on, because there's there's truths that have to be uncovered, there's ways that we do things that have to change. There's mm-hmm. technologies that are available to us that will radically change the world for good or for evil. And so that you have to be able to ask those questions of why something is being done, because the decision which you will discover as you as your generation looks at this, it's all seated in conversations discussions from the 1800s typically were all the, we're doing all of this stuff because of at a time when man didn't really realize we were anything other than a or we knew we were human but we had very little knowledge about the cell and we had no knowledge about subatomic particle physics at all and so we made all these assumptions about this is how we're supposed to live and this is what work means and your generation right. is now at a time when we know that's not a lot of that is not true or there's a lot of there's a lot of areas where it needs to be refined. And right. so I so I would say for your for your listeners that are entrepreneurial and they want to do something creative and innovative, look in these areas that are just now being opened up because they are going to be opened up in a big way in the next three to five years. That's AI technology, yeah. free yeah. energy, uh mm-hmm. uh the uh What's what to do about monetary policy? Oh my gosh! And so somebody who's getting into finance right now and start looking at monetary policy—it's huge in debt. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, we have more debt. You were talking about Social Security, and, and, and then, I'll, then I'll end here with a brief summary. But you were talking about the Social Security. The reality is, is that I think that our debt load of our of what's called uh, un, unfunded uh, mandates that we have for like Social Security retirement. Uh, and it's not not just our Social Security, but like retirement for the post office, for po- retirement for all the government workers and the school teachers and stuff. So it's like $174 trillion, like $174 trillion. It, we can never repay that. The government already knows that, that we can never repay that. And they don't know what they're going to do about that. Nobody knows. That's why your generation has to go up and say, this is this is stupid. <laughs> you know, we can all, I guess we can just, since we're using computers, we can just keep adding zeros to the end of it and just pretend that this is not really real and let the world continue to operate. But we'll, we're lying to the rest of the world when we do that. Uh, right. And so that is to figure out how to, how to regauge everything, how to take all the debt away and how to just start over. And there, to, your generation will figure that out. And it's going to happen quick. This is not something that's going to happen in 20 years. This is something that's going to happen in the next five, three to five years, I'm, I'm certain. Um, because your generation is going to, when it's 75% of the global workforce in 2025, is going to be millennial because half the extras aren't there. Your generation is going to be able to make all these decisions. And so there's not going to be a boomer standing in your way to say, no, you can't do that, or this is the way you should do it. Your generation mm-hmm. is going to be saying, 
this is what needs to be done. This is what we know the situation. This is what needs to be done. And this is the right thing to do. And then you're going to do it. Uh, in my book, I, I also have a lot of, I'm a professional coach. I have a lot of coaching in there as far as coaching programs and coaching process for companies that they're interested in. How do I start coaching and how do I coach yeah. my millennial talent? I've got a whole program in my book on how to coach millennial talent to get them aligned, how to uh, allow them to start identifying development opportunities within the organization, advancement opportunities within the organization, all with over emphasis or, or, or emphasis of work-life balance. Um, and that, that, that's in my book as well. So awesome. I appreciate the time that you've given me today. Do you have any other questions? Yes. Well, yes, if you can please let our audience know where they can find your book and how they can find sure. you and contact you for coaching services as well. That's perfect. Uh, if they want to find the book, it's on Amazon, Amazon.com. Uh, they can also go to UnleashTheMillennials.com. UnleashTheMillennials.com, all one word, and that's my book my book page. And it's, you'll get information on my book, uh, and it's also it'll, it's going to send you to Amazon to order it off of Amazon. Uh, and then it's all like I said, paperback and, and a Kindle ebook, and then also have links to my other uh, uh, businesses. I do my coaching in a company called Engineering Leadership Design Group, and also Zimmerman Coaching Group. You'll see links to that at the UnleashMillennials.com uh, website as well. So um, that, that's where you go. UnleashMillennials.com will get you in contact with me, and just email me. Let me know you heard me on on, on Antonio's show. With Diana, and I'd be happy to respond to you and help you in any way I can. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Zimmerman. Ladies and gentlemen, we will also make sure that we put all of Dr. Zimmerman's contact information as well that he just mentioned in the show notes so you can click and go directly to them. Dr. Zimmerman, thank you so very much for your time today. It was We are so grateful to have had you with us. Thank you for the work that you are doing uh, do you have any final words that you would like to leave with our audience? Uh, I, I would just say for the millennials, for the millennials that are listening, uh, be the superhero that you know you are and that you were created to be, and and pursue that particular power that you have to change the world. And for the Xers, same thing. A lot of you are superheroes as well. Boomers, you're to really play the role of the the sage advisor, uh, not to get in the in the superhero's way, <laughs> but to provide the institutional needle, institutional knowledge about your business and your company that those superheroes need, in order for them to rescue your company and transform your company from an industrial age company uh, in industrial age practices to a connected age company with connected age practices, and watch your profits soar. That's what it's all about: making money. And uh, treating people well, and you do that, you let a, you let your millennials in charge, uh, and and to transform your company, you'll see both people treated very well and making a lot of money. All right, thank you very much, Dr. Zimmerman, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Secrets of Success podcast. Looking forward to hearing back from you. Remember to follow us, subscribe, and download as well. Everyone have an amazing and prosperous evening. Thank you. I'm not sure if you already know this, but you're already absolutely perfect. You're already absolutely great. And you're already living in massive abundance. The most important things that you have is not what you have. It's not what you do. It's what you know. 
because the people who do know what you need to know to leave the middle class, they're in the top 1% and they control 96% of the world's income. 97% of this world is trading time for money and that is not the way to become rich, it's not the way to become wealthy, and it is absolutely not the way to leave the middle class. There are 7.8 billion people in the world right now and they all wanna learn how to make money and how to leave the middle class. But the way to become a master at anything is to learn all the rules and then bend them to your favor. Right now in this world, there are 2,057 billionaires, right now. So if you think becoming a billionaire is impossible, that's 2,057 people that have already proved that impossibility incorrect. And if you think that's crazy, there are 46.8 million millionaires in the world, worldwide right now. Now think about that. 46.8 million millionaires, and that number grows 1,730 millionaires every single day. Money is everywhere. You don't need to max out your credit cards. You don't need to borrow from granddad and grandma. Just look behind me. Look at all the wealth sitting behind me in this junkyard. It's insane how much money is everywhere, and you don't need to go out there and beg, bar, and steal to get it. You just need to know the rules of making money and how to leave the middle class. Essentially, all you need to know is the algorithm of making money, the rules of making money. All you need to know is what to do and how to do it, and you can leave the middle class. Any industry, yoga, golf, underwater basket weaving, clipping fingernails, it doesn't matter. All you have to do is know how to do it, how to get it done, and then find somebody to teach you how to do it, how to get it done, and you will be able to leave the middle class. If you're not getting my point, it's real simple. Whatever you have up here, as long as you understand the rules of leaving the middle class, as long as you understand how to get money, you can take what's up here and get wealthy for what you already have. Right now, the very thing you know up here is already being searched a thousand times a second on Google. Someone right now, actually 1,730 people right now, are gonna become a millionaire from the stuff that you have in your head. Why can't this be you? I mean, it's 1,730 people with your ideas that are no better than you, that are gonna leave the middle class, become a millionaire. Why are you not next? So how do we do this? How do we take what you know and apply it to objective money-making secrets and then allow you to leave the middle class? How do we take you from where you are and let you escape to where you wanna go? So how do we make all this money or take all this knowledge from the Warren Buffers, from Elon Musk, how do we take everything that everyone before you has done and how do we take all of that and then put it in your head so you can leave a legacy for your family? My name is Antonio T. Smith Jr. 32 years ago, I lived in a trash can. That's right, from six to 14, I had no running water, no electricity, no anything, and somehow I'm in the top 1% today not because I had the right background, not because I had a silver spoon in my mouth, simply because being homeless made me learn how to make money. I retired when I was 29 years old. I'm more than likely younger than you. I'm one of the top 1% income earners in one of the richest countries in the world. What I learned how to do when I was six years old was learn how to generate enough money to eat some cookies so I wouldn't die to death from starvation. From there, I learned how to go from cookies to a meal. 
from a meal to clothes to clothes to shelter to everything else that supplied my necessary needs. When I was six, I was forced to learn how to make money. And now that's what I'm going to do and help you do. I've seen amazing results. I have my own economy. I've homeschooled my own children. And I wrote a book that teaches you every single thing that I know about making money, every single thing that other people know about making money, and most importantly, all the stuff that we don't tell you. Because the truth is, and you know it like I know it, the most honest, the most hardworking, unselfish people on planet Earth live in the middle class. Yet, your honesty, your unselfishness, your devout religion going self is not enough to get to the top 1% and that's not fair. The second half of my life has been not about how much money I make, but how I will be remembered from all the money that I have made. And I've been trying to teach everybody how to get out the middle class. I'm the crazy guy famous on the internet for trying to create 100,000 millionaires. I've created eight so far. I got a ninth one on the way, all the way from India. That's pretty cool. And what I want to tell you is something very simple. It's been hard. It's been absolutely hard to help people leave the middle class, not because of the people, because the system would rather keep you being someone else's money instead of you having your own economy and having the money come find and flow to you. It was frustrating because I knew that anybody can make money. And if you knew what I knew, you would change your life. Over the last few years, I built a large following of over half a million people every month that pay me to actually for me to give them advice. Well, that's been exciting for me. And the cool thing is I've created thousands of six-figure earners. I've created millionaires. I've created people who can live their dreams and hold on to their legacies. And now my eyes are on you to create you to what you need to be great. I have been teaching my principles and these principles to hundreds of thousands of people around the world, every country, all continents, and anyone who has taken them seriously, written them down and applied them, have a 100% success rate of leaving the middle class. I've taught these secrets to my following and my inner network, and I've watched them go from four figures to five figures, five figures to six figures, seven figures all the way to eight. Everything that I've ever learned, everything I've ever learned from millionaire mentors, billionaire mentors, and everything I learned from being homeless, and everything that got me into the top 1%, I have placed inside of a book. To date, it is the longest book that I've ever written, the most best book that I've ever written, and that book is called The Richest Man in the Trash Can, and I'm offering it to you today for free. This book is gonna show you how to become wealthy into the top 1% and leave the middle class. This book is gonna give you a step-by-step -step plan if you're 30 years old, all the way to 70 years old, how to get into the top 1%. If you're a teenager, how to get to the top 1%. If you're a millennial, how to get to the top 1%. It's gonna teach you how to make six figures immediately, teach you how to get to a million dollars immediately, and all that good stuff. Plus, I'm gonna give you the 36 objective laws of leaving the middle class. Plus, I'm gonna give you every last one of my secrets that have made me rich. You have to understand that leaving the middle class is the most important fight that you're gonna have in your life. And to be honest with you, and you can kind of relate to this, it almost takes $450,000 a year just to be broke in America. And that's just in America. If you don't leave the middle class, which is actually an illusion, then you are gonna have a really hard time. 
think about it for a second. Some of, most of you are gonna be watching this are gonna be baby boomers and you've been sold a bad check. They lied to you. Your retirement was not enough for you to live comfortable and I'm gonna give you this book for free so you can figure out how to triple your retirement and then quadruple your retirement and then as Grant Cardone would say, 10X your retirement so you can live the life that's worthy of you. I want you to remember that leaving the middle class is the most important battle that you could ever face in your entire life, especially for your family. So consider this video, this book, your friendly tap on the shoulder. I want to send you a free copy of this book because I believe that abundance is your birthright. I believe that abundance is freedom. And I believe that this book is right for you. In fact, I believe in that so much that I will send you the book for free. All you have to do is cover the cost of shipping. I'll eat the cost. I'll take the loss. And all you have to do is get the book and dominate your reality right now and apply the principles so you can be the best person for your life that is yours. Fill out the form sitting right there to the right. Go ahead, dominate your reality. I can't wait to send you my book. I can't wait to meet you. I can't wait to have you as someone that's been on the journey with me. Antonio T. Smith Jr., you can plant better. You can dominate. When the pandemic began, I had the biggest problem in the world, not making money. The pandemic was actually quite a blessing for me as it almost made me a billionaire. I came really close. So the pandemic was a blessing. It was hiring people. And get this, everybody. I had 48 job positions open during the pandemic. $22 an hour with paid training. And I could not find a single person for two years to fit any of those 48 job positions. Hear me well. 48 job positions. $22 an hour. Paid training. And I couldn't find someone, not one person, for those job positions. Now, is it because I hire slowly? True. But it's because I wasn't using ZipRecruiter. And that's a fact. I wasn't getting to the right people for the right position to fit my right culture. And there are so many different things that you can do this summer. As a matter of fact, you can free up as much time as you want to. But if you're not using ZipRecruiter, you're probably not going to free up that time if you're attempting to hire people. So what is ZipRecruiter? What is probably the greatest job finder that's out there and that's why you need zip recruiter you need it so you can find the right candidates now it's not that zip recruiter helps you find jobs it's more accurately that zip recruiter takes your culture takes your job takes what you're looking for and immediately matches them with the perfect candidate and if the if it's if they can't find a perfect candidate, they will skip over that person and then give you the perfect candidate for you. ZipRecruiter uses one of its most powerful tools, which is the technology itself, to match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review uh, their recommendations and easily review their recommended candidates and invite these candidates to 
apply for your top positions. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy for you to filter out, uh, review, and rate candidates. Four out of five employees uh, have been used by four out of five employers on ZipRecruiter. It is a blessing. And no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one hiring site in the world based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of this year, January 1st. My friends, soak up everything I said. It's not an ad. This is a personal testimony of how I found the right people to sit in the right seat on the right bus. Without ZipRecruiter, it wouldn't have been possible. So how do you take advantage of what I'm talking about? Well, you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. All spelled the regular way. That's Zip, Z-I-P, Recruiter, R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R, ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. And I promise you, you will be grateful that you did so. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. It's also in the show notes.